Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to bring you the latest episode of the SALT Crypto Show, a series of conversations that we're having focused on uh, cryptocurrencies, Web3, NFTs, and a whole host of subjects within the digital asset ecosystem. And our guest today is Dan Gunsberg. Uh, Dan Gunsberg is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Hero. He's also the co-founder of Hero Network, which is a decentralized derivatives protocol built on top of the Solana blockchain. And he also serves as the director of the Hero Foundation. He has more than 27 years of financial market experience, both as a trader and in trading operations. Prior to Hero, Dan served as the chief operating officer of DV Trading, which is a derivatives-focused principal trading firm. He's been an active trader, investor, and founder and advocate within the digital asset space since 2015 as well. Dan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. The way we like to start these uh, episodes off is to talk a little bit more about your background and specifically within the Salt Crypto Show and people that have sort of a traditional finance background like yourself. You know, tell us how you got into finance and then how you made sort of the pivot from the traditional finance world and had that eureka moment as it relates to crypto and then you know how you got into to building Hero. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Great to be here with uh, with Salt. I'm excited to be a part of uh, upcoming Crypto Bahamas. Um, so, yeah, my background has largely, in terms of traditional finance, has largely been in uh, the proprietary derivatives trading world, uh, kind of uh, within the fabric of the Chicago trading world. I started on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade in 1994, actually as a uh, as a clerk, uh, actually a, uh, a market reporter, which is like a, a certain job within the trading pit, and then um, kind of worked my way up from a clerk to a trade checker to uh, eventually when I finished school, I started trading and kind of never looked back. Um, in 2015, um, I was uh, chief operating officer principal at DB Trading, as you had mentioned, and uh, I actually discovered Bitcoin while I was there. I had somebody that uh, one of my colleagues um, had been uh, fairly active with Bitcoin since like maybe like 2012, 2013. And um, I had heard about it uh, really a couple of years prior. Um, sometime around that time, I talked about it with him uh, and then didn't really do anything. And then in late 2015, uh, actually, you know, took a look, happened to take a look at it one day and um, market was going kind of coming out of what was one of many uh, pretty uh, volatile and uh, extensive bear markets for crypto uh, for or for Bitcoin for that matter. And uh, somewhere around September 2015, started buying it and uh, kind of sent me down the, the wormhole from there. And uh, in 2017, I ended up leaving uh, DV uh, to pursue crypto full time in late 2017. And then uh, 2018, uh, while I was trading it along with my co-founder, uh, who also came from uh, the derivatives world uh, as an options market maker, um, we uh, we conceptualized this very early form of Hero, which was really uh, a, a platform that was focused on that's focused on 
uh, more exotic type of options and and kind of more uh, creative ways for uh, you know to engage the market. And uh, in late twenty twenty, sorry, in mid twenty twenty, um, we did a deal with FTX, who had been uh, you know Sam Fried had been an early uh, investor, and Alameda had been involved with with Hero uh, prior to that, and uh, we did a um, uh, we saw them launch, uh, or you know, a couple of their engineers launch Project Serum, uh, which was you know kind of a, a huge breakthrough for uh, for derivatives trading, for spot trading, and that you could they actually proved you could put an on chain an order book on chain and have it be functional, and uh, that was all built on Solana. And when we started Hero, we always wanted to get to building a decentralized derivatives primitive, and uh, once they proved it could be done on Solana, we started going down the path, and uh, here we are today. So before we get deeper into Hero, I want to talk about you know that uh, adoption of Bitcoin that you talked about. You know when you were at DV Trading, uh, you were probably earlier than most people that came from the traditional finance world in terms of buying Bitcoin and buying into the thesis around it. What was it that drew you to Bitcoin? Um, you know, is it this narrative around store of value, digital gold? Was it uh, the fact that it was this new and novel uh, use of cryptography uh, within money and, and financial markets. But what, what was the, you know, the reason why you really became enthusiastic about Bitcoin and crypto? It's a great question. And it, it's kind of multi-pronged. Um, first of all, you know, around that time, you, we had Brexits and, uh, you know, things like that. And we were already well into kind of what we had coined as, uh, we all coined as QE forever. And, uh, the whole idea of, mon- of excessive money printing, having kind of a new store of value, uh, a digital store of value, uh, that that argument made a lot of sense to me. And um, so kind of from like a more macro thesis, that, that really was one big reason. And then I think from a trading perspective, um, I had happened to start looking at it again in 2015 and um, maybe a little fortuitous on timing in that it had gone through something like close to a 90% peak to valley bear market. And so Bitcoin was around $200 at the time. So from a trading perspective, kind of between that and, and just what I was seeing from a more macro perspective, uh, there was a lot of uh, asymmetric upside um, if this was going to be right. And I felt like I was getting very cheap optionality to own it. Uh, and so started buying it for that reason. And then um, th- those were kind of really the first two elements. And then kind of as things moved on and as uh, I started to get more involved on the trading side of it, the, it, it had a lot of, um, it felt very much like the early innings of the NASDAQ boom bust. And, uh, and I had, I was fortunate enough to trade, you know, kind of from like 98, 99 uh, into uh, the early 2000s, um, kind of caught the, the middle to late innings of the NASDAQ uh, boom bust and kind of the advent of, of everything, you know, kind of uh, web one into web two. Um, and uh, so it felt very similar to me. And I thought there was a lot of opportunity there. And um, that's kind of really what what put me in it. So those those three elements are really the reason. Right. You talked about how, you know, you had had an interest in building a decentralized exchange, but obviously it's a very challenging uh, project from a developmental perspective. And you saw Project Serum was able to put an order book on chain. And so you guys um, sought to build a, a derivative platform on chain. 
what were the the big challenges? We like to make this a show that's accessible both for people that are very deep into crypto, but also people uh, that are still learning uh, a little sure. bit more of the basics around how you build something like a decentralized exchange. So as you set out to build Hero and build a on-chain order book, yeah, what were the challenges there and, and how have you been able to address them? Well, building, building you know, decentralized uh, derivatives primitive uh, is definitely challenging because first of all, like derivatives, it's a very, it's a very generalized word. It can mean a lot of things. And so um, we, when we first approached it, we actually were approaching it kind of trying to take a look and see where the white spaces were in the uh, in the DeFi derivatives space, which obviously is still still incredibly incredibly early, um, and we initially approached it uh, from the perspective of looking at uh, like European cash settled vanilla options, and uh, what we quickly realized was that there was a lot of elements that, in order to really onboard uh, professional trading desks, um, you, you had to think through so many elements that that most engineers who didn't have the same domain, domain expertise as us um, would think about. And that could be things such as um, uh, like market maker protections, like you're building liquidity up. You know, one element that you need is you need to create trust between the technology and the participants. And so things like market maker protections or things like how you think about margining and, um, you know, so like having to build a risk engine that could do, uh, you know, portfolio level margining and doing it in, uh, you know, in, at 400 milliseconds, uh, you know, it actually reviews the uh, uh, scans of portfolio every 400 milliseconds is pretty, uh, pretty tricky. So um, things like that, that ultimately could lower the barrier of entry uh, and uh, for professional training firms and kind of eventually create a little more trust. And, you know, our, our feeling was that we really needed to, um, to bring in large professional liquidity because you kind of take a look at what the um the overall market of uh of DeFi derivatives currently is today relative to what the entirety of the traditional world is um you know it's, you're talking about on the order of uh, uh the traditional world currently being maybe 150 to 200 times larger and so uh, really to attract even a, a small portion of that liquidity is going to take thinking through a lot of these elements and then building it on Solana and building really a raw primitive where we're not building on top of anything else uh, came with a lot of challenges. And so what we did is we really, we when we started building this, we, we quickly went uh, to um, some of the professional trading firms that we've been involved with, Jump Trading, Alameda, uh, Chicago Trading Company, Susquehanna, who are all uh, invested into the, into the protocol. Um, and started working through design and um, and actually uh, leveraging engineering resources and resources from like the risk departments and things like that to really think through these elements and then figure out how this could transfer on chain. Uh, and what we came out with was a, um, a protocol that we call Dexterity, which is really a generalized, if you think about what a derivative, uh, um, what a derivative is, is it's really just like a, an accounting and payoff function uh, of an asset. And so, we built this very flexible and what we call easily composable derivative uh, primitive that um, you can attach any type of risk engine to it, a customized risk engine, a fee model uh, and market data. And um, out of that actually have a derivative. So uh, 
that allowed us to quickly uh, build out the ability to support um, term structured futures, you know, expiring futures, perpetual swaps, which are very kind of unique to the digital asset space uh, market that's become very popular, uh, European cash settled options, exotic options of all different sorts. And what that allows us to do is kind of now rethink um, what can be traded as a derivative. And our idea is that over time, uh, and as kind of regulation and as like, you know, kind of the, the, the fabric of derivatives of the derivatives landscape gets more comfortable with these concepts and operating on chain, that we can then expand the definition of, of what can actually be traded um, and, uh, you know, and really kind of grow deriv the derivative space in our own corner, uh, kind of have our own, you know, our own corner of the fabric of the, of the derivative space and, uh, and uh, expand from there. So you talked about uh, regulation and market structure and things like that. So the CFTC is currently reviewing an application from FTX US derivatives, uh, which was formerly LedgerX, to allow for perpetual uh, swaps, perpetual futures fading, trading for crypto that would be regulated under the CFTC and licenses that uh, LedgerX had previously acquired. Um, in terms of how market structure, how you expect it to evolve as blockchain technology, you know, people in Washington become more educated around what blockchain technology allows you to do uh, and how it can potentially remake markets. What, uh, if you look at the big picture, do you expect a change around market structure and what we're allowed to do uh, fully regulated in the United States, you know, as it relates to derivatives? Well, I, I obviously strongly support FTX's efforts, um, FTX US derivatives uh, efforts in kind of, uh, um, establishing this direct to market type of uh, infrastructure, which I think is a massive breakthrough. For us, it's not too much, you know, for, for Hero Network, it's not too much different, except the, you have to kind of think of, we kind of think of the network component or the smart contracts and the primitive that, that exists as really kind of a tectonic plate that sits underneath all of this, uh, all of the trading that goes on. It's, it's really kind of the settlement clearing and trading uh, and like matching engine function all kind of plunged together. Uh, and so if, if you think about it in that context, um, I think that there are elements of existing regulation that would transfer over as it pertains to the United States. This is gonna be launched uh, non-US, so uh, outside of the US obviously. Uh, and uh, I think the long-term goal, you know, and kind of definitely a mission of, of mine is, uh, as, a, as a contributor to the network, is really to establish a way to actually have this DAO, what will become progressively this DAO-based infrastructure um, that can be owned by its community of participants um, and uh, work in a, in a decentralized open source way. Um, and that this software really kind of sits underneath. Uh, and then on top, you effectively have these nodes that can act as like the DCO or as the uh, DCM for that matter. Um, and uh, it's really just software that's sitting underneath all of that infrastructure. It's not to say that things may drastically change. It's just a different way of looking at what defines infrastructure and software, but still having like kind of singular node components that can sit on top of it or kind of at the side of it that could act in that DCO uh, function for uh, the settlement and clearing aspects, and then a DCM for the actual trading element of it. 
Yeah, no, Brett Harrison at FTX US has, has given a lot of uh, great talks recently about uh, disrupting traditional market structure. Yeah. Like you said, I think uh, it, it is a massive breakthrough. So excited to see uh, you guys succeed and continue to see FTX US's efforts um, in, in sort of upending traditional market structure in a way that's they're much definitely, more friendly. Yeah, and they're definitely you know paving a, a a new path for for everybody, which I think is incredibly exciting and. Again, we're super supportive. I kind of look at what uh, Hero Network is building as maybe even the next generation beyond uh, what FTX is is doing and hopefully can get pushed through um, here soon with the CFTC. Right. So you talked about how you made a decision, you know, somewhat based on your observations of Project Serum and the success they had building an on-chain uh, exchange you built on the Solana blockchain. So I'm sure during this process, you looked around at different blockchains evaluated uh, which one was the best fit for what you guys were trying to build. How did you guys decide to use Solana? What made it stand out uh, as the optimal chain to build Hero on? Sure. Uh, You know, I would be, you know, I'd be lying if I said it didn't have some effect that, uh, you know, Alameda slash FTX slash the, you know, every Sam, the whole team behind it, uh, didn't have some positive effect on on us driving that decision. obviously a lot of trust in their abilities around uh, understand the technology they're working with. And again, being the first mover that they are in pretty much everything that it, uh, it paved a really clear path for us. Uh, but um, throughput capabilities of Solana, um, the, the cost structure of transacting on chain on Solana, uh, those two elements alone made it uh, without a doubt the, the front runner and uh, for us to be building on uh at the time we started building on it, uh, I, you know, it is not easy to build on Solana. They call it, uh, you know, if you, your engineers generally call it glass chewing, or there's kind of a saying in the Solana yep. ecosystem of you're chewing glass as you're building. So, but when you do get through it, it is, um, it is the most highly performant uh, and uh, a blockchain available in, in crypto today. And uh, I think between that and then kind of the um, started to see more and more of the firms that were rallying around it, which ended up largely being uh, firms that were really steeped in professional derivatives trading. Uh, it started to make more and more sense. So I think between that and its potential use cases in the financial system, we really kind of do think that that Solana will end up being the, uh, the L1 that most of the trading and decentralized trading infrastructure that exists and actually the kind of the payment infrastructure, payment rails that exist, which all interact into capital markets and finance, uh, will uh, the L1 will end up being Solana. Uh, and um, you know, when we started, it really was you really had a choice between Bitcoin and Ethereum, and uh, obviously Bitcoin uh, was not doable, uh, and then Ethereum just didn't have the throughput capabilities. And also the the fear of as Ethereum got more expensive, what gas costs would look like, and uh, we luckily were right on that front. So um, obviously with L twos and stuff that's evolved, but um, right now you know our our focus is in on Solana. We've had a, we've had an amazing experience with uh, the Solana ecosystem and and uh, with Solana engineers who have played a big role in uh, in helping bringing uh, bringing Hero Network to life. And uh, yeah, I, we you know we still think it's the front runner by by a long shot. So. Right. 
So Hero has, uh, you've been able to recruit top tier talent from the traditional finance world, including yourself as a founder. You have members of your team that come from Goldman Sachs, from CME, from SIBO, from Macquarie, among other, uh, ABN AMRO, from other, um, from among other high profile uh, companies within the traditional finance world. I want to ask a couple questions about that. But the first one is, you know, for someone like yourself and, and people from companies that I just referenced, why do you think there's been such a brain drain taking place from the traditional finance world into crypto? Uh, and, and do you expect that to continue? It, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, part of our our mission is really to kind of stand, or part of the mission of Euro Network is really to stand at that intersection of traditional finance and, and DeFi. And, and um, I think that these last couple of years, I, you know, I think it started, I actually think it started really like maybe seven, eight years ago, um, but it's really kind of gone more exponential in the last year. And and more than anything, at least from from my perspective, and maybe this is really being kind of in the Chicago derivatives world, is there was such a, a move to um, to trading crypto digital assets because there was so much opportunity there. And, uh, you know, professional trading firms who really embark on trading arbitrage and things like that, there's just so much opportunity that was there. And I think that was kind of uh, the chicken that has come before the egg. And uh, as that started to build and as those numbers started to build and then just uh, the overall market cap of crypto growing as exponentially as it has, uh, obviously there's, you know, for the financial world, that's going to be impactful. Um, and then I think some of the political and, you know, geopolitical economic elements that really uh, for slower moving entities that are, you know, kind of forced to move slower, like bigger institutions, I think you're now just seeing them come to the table. And, uh, and maybe they, they have already been here quietly through like secondary or tertiary routes. Uh, but now we're starting to see those entities really, um, really dive in. And uh, I, I do think it's going to continue. I, I don't think it's this like zero one kind of we're going to shut the lights out on traditional finance and then turn right. on, um, you know, the, this new digital asset world. It's going to be this evolutionary process. And as like younger participant, younger uh, engineers and executives from traditional finance who have already immersed themselves in crypto or in digital assets start to become, you know, starts to move up into more decision-making roles. I think as technology starts to kind of obfuscate away from plumbing and become uh, more user-facing friendly, which uh, then uh, you know becomes more meaningful to institutions like banks, uh, then, uh, and then as regulators can get closer and closer to kind of uh, having more uh, prescriptive guidance around how to function within the context of, of the digital asset space and we get better with things like FATF and uh, which is, you know, which, which I think is already so far down the line. I think people kind of miss, they only see the headlines. They don't see really what's there, but um, we have made so, so much progress on that front. And I, and the, 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 fir, the, the companies or the projects in crypto that are thinking about the future do think very heavily about things like KYC AML and other things that now are getting to the point where you have the better tools and, People are starting to understand the value proposition of, of digital assets uh, and, and that they're not fully, um, you know, anonymous. They're kind of like pseudo anonymous uh, and having this whole concept, which is something that here on network is approaching of like permission DeFi um, 
it really is kind of opening the floodgates for this more traditional crossover and giving them a way to start putting their, their toe in the water. Yeah, you, you answered a lot of what my next question was going to be, which you know, we've seen Goldman Sachs. They did their first OTC trade with Galaxy. Uh, you have hedge funds like Citadel, you know, among the, the largest and top performing hedge funds in the world, now actively trading crypto. And, you know, in general, you're seeing the crypto market mature, whether it be spot markets, whether it be derivatives markets. And I think it takes some some of the risk off the table uh, within crypto as it relates to thin markets and lack lack of liquidity and bring some of the elements of traditional financial markets that allow them to function, um, you know, very healthily. How much do you see, you know, continued maturation of crypto markets to the point uh, that, that some of the inherent risks of a brand new asset class are going to be diminished, you know, over time. I mean, I, I think it's it's starting to pick up the pace uh, at you know at which that's going to happen, and I think as as involvement from these larger players, like you said, and then building also building technologies like what Hero Network is building, and you know, thinking through like that you can have this decentralized network where the network participants can work collectively for the common good of everybody to have the type of infrastructure that they want that may solve some of the issues or friction points that that currently maybe exist in in the traditional space um, and then having things like uh, you know having some of these players in and having some of these additional mechanisms that allow them to inject more liquidity uh, more you know, where they feel you know they can uh, do this on a on a more trust or uh, in many senses, on a trustless basis, where they don't have to worry about trust, uh, but um, allowing them to start allocating more capital towards the space, uh, more resources towards uh, supporting liquidity and uh, general infrastructure, uh, and um, introducing uh, uh, that into kind of their everyday business. Um, I don't think I think the genie's out of the bottle. It's not uh, it's not something that's going to roll back necessarily like this is uh, the automobile has kind of replaced the horse and buggy at this point, And now it's about evolving the automobile very early stage, but about evolving the automobile. And I do think you know, one, one point. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, one, one, point I'll make, one more point I'll make of that. I think that, you know, and I, I had talked about this with um, with Jeremy Schwartz from Wisdom Tree uh, last week on, a, on another podcast. But uh, one thing that I think through a lot is everybody's getting a front row seat to this, too. It's just because of the internet, like when we had like the early days of the internet, like nobody knew, you know, if you went across a billion people all over the world and said, you know, tell me about ARPANET, tell me about TCPIP, like 99.999% of the people are going to stare at you blankly and not have an idea, right? You're seeing the world is getting to see this in real time, like through a window, and they actually get to live it because of the decentralized nature of it, and because of the advent of the internet and the access to information that exists now. So you're getting to see this early, the early phases, the kind of crypto pangea, like everything getting seasoned and hardening, and with that comes these like hacks or these, uh, you know, these things that break all the time, and it just kind of is the way that technology evolves. And so um, I think the fact that we're seeing this like upfront, it, it's probably a little scarier to people in many ways, but over time as it hardens and then as you obfuscate those kind of those smart contractor plumbing layers or you know primitive layers away from the everyday public and you start, now you can start focusing on 
on really on real usable um, uh, user applications and uh, things like that, then you're going to start seeing a real exponential growth. But I think like some of the larger traditional finance institutions know that's coming. So this is right. kind of like the last stand for them to get in front of it. It's evolved to the point where they are getting more and more comfortable or their boards are getting more comfortable to, to kind of start stepping in. And I think that's, I think FTX salt uh, in the Bahamas is going to kind of be a, a major inflection point where everybody gets to come together and now start thinking about these things. And I think from there, hopefully it's just kind of a new chapter and a launching point to really move forward. Well, I appreciate you promoting our event that we're launching with FTX and, and super excited to have the Hero Network there and to have you speaking. But I, I do think you're right that, you know, just in planning that event. So the SALT conference traditionally, um, you know, in its early days was a hedge fund focused conference. Over the last several years, it's continued to evolve to include more fintech players, to include people working in the digital asset space. We had our first digital asset speakers in 2014 when the Winklevoss twins uh, came to our conference in Las Vegas and spoke about Bitcoin and and all of the hedge fund managers in the crowd were sort of snickering at, at the idea that you know Bitcoin was was the Winklevoss's next big entrepreneurial venture and and the the things they were building on top of it. But now you know when we launched the conference, we expected it to have you know some mix of traditional finance and crypto native. But the interest that we've seen from the CEO of Citadel will be there. You know players from Brevin Howard from Point Seventy Two from Third point, you know, the leading hedge funds in the industry and leading banks, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, all these people will be there and have reached out to us proactively about how do we participate here and how do we get deeper into the crypto world. And, and we, like you, see ourselves at Skybridge and at Salt as a little bit of a, a conduit between those two worlds. And just the amount of enthusiasm and interest uh, that we're seeing from the old world into the new has been eye-opening uh, during the planning process for that conference. Sure. Which is a good segue into sort of my last question, which is uh, a, a macro question. It's sort of if you look five to 10 years into the future and you think about crypto and how it's permeated different aspects of our society, our financial markets, our financial system, how do you see crypto playing a role? Do you think it'll become you know commonplace within the payment space? It's going to replace some of the credit card type railings that we have in the United States and around the world. From a financial markets perspective, do you think we'll see more decentralized applications as it relates to whether it's spot or derivatives? Uh, but but paint a picture for us of the world, let's say, 10 years into the future about how crypto has eaten different aspects of our society and financial system. Absolutely. Uh, so kind of at the primitive base layer, I think that you end up with these large networks that almost act as like in the same way that uh like kind of single point of failure corporations have existed historically. And these exist in these DAO structured decentralized networks where pretty much anybody, uh, pending on the, you know, what uh, purpose the network is serving, uh, in some cases, obviously it'll be required to be permissioned. Um, but, uh, let's say that's the case, then, uh, anybody can come get permissioned and then participate in the network. And, uh, and be rewarded for their efforts. It's kind of the gamification of, of the corporate world in many ways. And uh, you'll have these large networks that are supporting the base layer infrastructure. Uh, again, like to kind of make an analogy, they're kind of like the tectonic plates that sit under, uh, you know, that sit under uh, the content, various continents across the world. And uh, the continents are the user-facing applications that are using the services and the plumbing that exists at these uh, 
at these networks. And those will have different types of mechanics attached to them. Um, but I do, I do see this very interesting world coming of this merging of the metaverse with physical universe. Uh, we, I think we're already kind of seeing it. If you have a, uh, if you have a, a, a 10 year old or 12 year old kid, <laughs> pretty much are already, uh, you know, if they're in their, if they're in their uh, phone, they are already living in the metaverse. Um, and if you try to get their attention, generally they're, you know, you probably have to ask them three times before they, they snap out of it. My but, oldest uh, is five. So I have yet to fully cross uh, that bridge, but you know, <laughs> Much to my chagrin, she is already, you know, loves playing yes. around on Snapchat with the filters and messing around in different sort of metaverse centric applications to the point where I know it's on the horizon for me. And I know it's it's uh, probably inevitable, but I'm also trying to slow that process as much <laughs> as I can. Yeah, you you uh, you asked for a look in the future, and I think I gave you one uh, yeah. probably one step closer to home. So, um, but I think you have that, and then I think you have these applications that that sit on top. And uh, those are how the rest of the world is evolving. Like I think in, in seven to 10 years from now, you're, nobody's going to really be talking about the plumbing anymore. Right. And uh, it's going to be all about the consumer facing uh, aspects of things. And I think the, the B2B to C uh, kind of infrastructure is what will kind of permeate. Um, and you'll have this sense of community driven kind of ownership, so to speak, of networks. Uh, I, I do think you're going to have this kind of interesting change away from typical equity cap structures and things like that. And uh, it will be a, a more of a digital kind of asset-driven um, DAO-based infrastructure. And you're, you're starting to see some of these things evolve. And we went from technology, evolve, the technology element to now some of the theories around how DAOs work. And uh, there's you know, some very developed DAOs now that are getting into these interesting kind of political things that exist. And I think all that needs to get flushed out over the next seven to 10 years. And I think, uh, you know, things like how those types of networks can exist within a regulatory construct um, need to be flushed out over the next few years as well. It's something that, you know, I'm, I'm looking to be looking forward to being very proactive about. Uh, and, um, I think what's going to end up happening is you're with this pertains to digital assets is you're going to have uh, kind of these two worlds. You're going to have this kind of lit permissioned world where um, we'll look and feel very much like uh, how traditional the traditional world looks today with a lot less friction right. and a lot more and a lot more transparency and a lot more decision making power being put back to ultimately back to the participants in it. Um, terms of like users uh, and uh, then you're going to kind of have this other part of crypto that might be uh, more driven around privacy and things like that, that um, I think will, uh, you know, how that plays a role in the long run. I, um, I don't, I, it's not, it's not the space that I'm in. So, um, but I think there's always going to be that element of crypto there. Uh, and I think eventually those two worlds are going to kind of sever and um, live separately. And that's kind of what I'm hoping will happen. And I think that'll make from a regulatory aspect, make things, you know, advance a lot faster. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's going to kind of be it. You're going to end up with the world's going to be using crypto and they're not even going to know it, even know it. I think that's how we, uh, how we end up in the next 10 years. 
Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure to have you on Salt Talks and the Salt Crypto Show. Looking forward to seeing how the Hero Network uh, is involved in shaping that future. I know you're working with a lot of fantastic partners. You have a lot of great investors who we're friends with as well um, yeah. that, that believe in what you guys are doing. So excited to watch you guys on that journey. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for joining, Dan. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's Salt Talk with Dan Gunsberg of the Hero Network. We're excited to host Dan as a speaker at Crypto Bahamas, the conference that he referenced earlier, uh, which is in late April down in Nassau, Bahamas at the Bahamar Resort. That event is now sold out, I can say exclusively here on, on Salt Talks. So excited to have a, a great group of people down there uh, in year one and continue to grow that event, uh, that event as FTX has recently relocated its headquarters down to the Bahamas. But just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous talks, you can access them all on our website at salt.org backslash talks or on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. We're also on social media. Twitter is where we're most active, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. And please spread the word about these Salt Talks. Again, we love educating our sort of traditional finance community uh, around the innovation that's taking place in the decentralized finance and blockchain ecosystem. So please spread the word. And on behalf of the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.